Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Why is Pennsylvania such a hot spot for Bigfoot? What are orbs? Why do orbs and Bigfoot seem to turn up in the same places? Hello and welcome to the 804th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Today uh, we bring you a new guest on a subject we can't get enough of because it's what happened to us. So we welcome your calls today. Uh, the number is 401-766-1240. That is from anywhere. Or email paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Or you can contact us via Facebook, uh, Twitter, or Instagram, and pretty much anything in the social media realm. And we are completely delighted to have a spur-of-the-moment appearance by our favorite guest co-host, the legendary Shane Searway. Hey, and I'm excited to be here for the, today's show. Well, it is always lovely to have you. Okay, well, let's... Um, before we introduce our guest, I just we have to mention again the more of these terrible shootings. I remember, Ben, you remember we did the, after the school shooting in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, in December of twelve. We did a show on evil, and it disappeared. Yes, as soon as we, it, it was never it, it was recorded, but it just is. I mean, it was just. It makes you wonder. These things really make you wonder. So I guess uh, as we were saying before the show, the best we can do is is to be respectful and kind in our own lives and that's where it has to begin so enough about that tommy cooper is co-host of the popular roku tv show cryptovania it's about bigfoot the people who search for bigfoot and some other great things about life in the keystone state and beyond when our merry band of bearded new englanders were on our very eventful pennsylvania expedition in may tommy and jason his co-host came down to meet us at the dubois area and uh was one of the first to see the landmark ufo video we captured tommy of course lives in pennsylvania so tommy cooper welcome to behind the paranormal thanks for having me guys it's great to be here oh it's great to have you with us so let's begin with you know a sweeping general question because we always kind of like to start with something broad then narrow our way down is Bigfoot the weirdest creature you've ever encountered uh, in Pennsylvania? It would depend on the definition of creature. And as far as something that is uh, physical, it's a top five. Uh, we have the winged serpents. We have the dogman. We have several other things, uh, thunderbirds, those things. Which one's the weirdest would be hard to say. They're all unique and special in their own way, I suppose. Okay. So we go ahead, Ben. So, haven't have you experienced any any of these other weird things? I have not. Uh, the weirdest things that I've experienced have all been Bigfoot things. Uh, as a person who is often given reports from uh, normal people that have sightings and, and things. Uh, the secondhand stories that I've been told, some of them are a little bit weirder, especially with the dog man. But uh, in my own life, the Bigfoot is is the weirdest stuff, and uh, that's pretty much where I concentrate on. Winged serpents? Can you, yes. I, that's a new one on me. Can you tell us about that? I, this is the, the, the oil region in, in northwest Pennsylvania here, and uh, uh, before news was homogenated uh there's a lot of uh newspaper reports and things from turn of the century and even before of a, a water serpent that flies in some of the rivers nearby here and it 
sounds kind of outlandish, but a lot of other things do at first take. And then later on in life, you it's only then that you discover that even though it is outlandish, that doesn't mean that it can't be. Uh, and there are modern reports. And uh, I have been given modern reports of the winged water serpent. I've never had the pleasure of seeing it myself, but it's there. All right, so now we wanted to, um, I had a question about uh, orbs here, because you have a very interesting video about an orb, but someone beat us to it. Uh, Peter, our our, uh, faithful listener in South America, has uh, written in a question. Uh, Ben, perhaps you could uh, share Peter's question with. And what if I said no? You'd be fired. Uh, Fair enough. All right, so Peter writes to us, uh, Tommy, I saw an orb encounter video on your Facebook page. Uh, Can you please share more details, and do you think uh, there is an orb cryptid connection? That's our next two questions. Uh, Sorry, Tommy, go ahead. I do think there is a connection. Uh, What it is, I can't say for sure, but I have my own theory about that night in particular, and here it is. Um, this is a research area that uh, there's a lot of things going on there. An individual owns a great tract of land. Uh, he, as luck would have it, happened upon Cryptovania and myself. Uh, it's been about a year that I've been going to this property with this person. And uh, it's just riddled with Bigfoot activity, to be honest with you. Well, uh, on this occasion, you know, this has been an inch-by-inch thing, uh, gaining this person's confidence and and really getting into this area. But uh, on this particular night, he and I were sitting by his pond because uh, he had told me that he was getting vocalizations every night, every night, all night long. And uh, he invited me there, so I went down happily, and I took my uh, Bushnell digital night vision with me, and... uh, when I got there, it was before it was dark, and his pond, I had walked the perimeter of it like an idiot because I just couldn't keep myself from doing it. But I was looking for tracks, and I did actually find some. But at the same time I found these tracks, I effectively spread a new scent all around the area, and that was going to be the focus of our investigation that night is I would sit there and scan with the bushnel back and forth all night. Well, I think what happened was, I think when I spread my scent and polluted the research area, I think we kept the Sasquatch away. And I don't know for sure, but I'm open to the idea that they wanted to see who I was, what I was, what in the heck was going on there, this new smell. So maybe wanted transformed into an orb and came in to investigate, and maybe that's why it came to me and it was so close by because the orb was actually less than 20 foot away from me. And uh, I was just as surprised as anyone when I saw it. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, But yet there it was. And uh, it hung there for about a minute and a half, and then it was gone. And that was pretty much all she wrote for that night. And a very interesting night, one I'll certainly never forget. This is this is Shane. Um, so uh, last year I had uh, me and Tommy had talked and uh, and everything, and um, I had asked him the question about orbs, you know, showing up where Bigfoot, you know, what, what his thoughts were. He goes, he goes, we try really hard not to purposely like um, relate the two together. He says, but we've done a very poor job at doing that. So, <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> That's correct. Because they do show up, and and, um, and we we saw them ourselves in Pennsylvania. Yeah, different color. With you know, one of the, one of the things that I found really interesting about that night was 
uh, the the person that I was there with, I'm afraid when when we're out doing our research and stuff. Oftentimes, I'm afraid to really elaborate on what I see, whether it's with my naked eye or through the bushnell. But I I didn't want to say anything to the man because I didn't want to lose my ability to go to this area. I didn't want to lose my research area and. The man was right beside me, and he and I were both looking the whole time and everything. It was not visible to the naked eye. It was only visible through the bushnell. And uh, I don't know what that means, but it sure is curious. Well, just to define terms, when we talk about orbs, for anybody who might not know, they're essentially balls of light, which may or may not be visible to the naked eye. And as Tommy explains, in this case, it wasn't. But that's on your your Facebook page for Cryptovania. Is that correct? People can see that? Yes. Okay, yeah. Uh, I watched it after uh, we received that letter from um, Peter, and it was, it was really quite quite impressive. It's probably the best one I've ever seen. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Thank you. So, thank you. That uh, really means a lot coming from you guys. Well, thank you very much. Speaking of <laughs> us, uh, you uh, you came down to uh, to meet us. Uh, it, it was uh, I, I commented yesterday when we tested did the sound test and the video test that uh, first time I'd ever seen you in daylight because you came down yeah. it was quite late and uh shane was there and all all our, our bearded uh, wonders from here were uh having some pretty interesting experiences in the dubois area and uh yeah i think you were the you were the first one outside the group to see the ufo video that we captured in the night of may 23rd 24th so uh we're honored to have uh shared that with you certainly um so ben so 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 me um okay so i guess I, we can move on to you know, kind of, kind of a general, general question about Pennsylvania. It seems like, just from our experience over the last few years and um, the research that we've done, Pennsylvania is a weird place, right? A lot of, a lot of weird stuff happens there. All, Great I mean, people, weird stuff happen. That's the new state <laughs> motto. Great people, weird <laughs> stuff. So, why do so many weird things happen in Pennsylvania? Do you think? My theory is this: it goes back to the Civil War. I. Uh, this, when the Civil War came about, you have all these regular folks, salt of the earth type of people, and they end up leaving their dirt farm in Missouri or the deep woods of Georgia or wherever. And these are people that have never had the internet because it obviously wasn't there. They've never heard of a telephone. There's never been a telephone. There's, you know, the, the big excitement is reading books. There's, there's not much as far as uh, sensory stimulation. All these people come together and they witness the most horrific battle scenes, as horrific of any battle scene as has ever been in all these battles like Bull Run, Antietam, Gettysburg, all these places. So when the war ends, it's time to go home and be a dirt farmer again in Missouri, and these people are like, you know what, these are young men full of testosterone and energy and they're not going back to milk cows. They're not going back to grow wheat. They're looking for a place to go make their fortune. Well, along comes a town called Pithole, Pennsylvania. It's a boom town. It's it's the birthplace of the oil industry, Titusville is. You have all these people coming into Pennsylvania, specifically this area, the Titusville oil region area. They're coming to find their fortune. There's fast times, there's fast women, there's money, there's booze, there's everything. A guy that just got out of a war and wants to forget about it, that's where they're coming. And a lot of good people come, but a lot of bad people come. There's a lot of graft, there's a lot of murder, there's a lot of strange energy. 
I think there's just an awful lot of living and dying that happens, and I think really the the area, the earth, the ground kind of soaks up said energy, and some of it stays behind residually, or or maybe just kind of a karma for the area. But it, it's such a, a weird place. There's been so many tragedies and so many high times, and so many low times, and I I think the environment actually reflects it. And I think it draws in weirdness. And it is a weird place, as anyone who's ever spent time here will tell you, just like you guys know from yeah. firsthand experience. Yeah. That's an interesting. I've never heard that approach before, really, because um, you could say that about the whole planet, really, yeah. about all the fast times and bad times and good times. I don't know. But uh, yeah. interesting. Well, perhaps that, that's true. Uh, we treat it as a flap area where you've got a lot of, parallel worlds are converging and intersecting but who knows i mean you know any anybody's guess could be correct here um now as far as um your own work is concerned tommy do you work with a team or is it just yourself and maybe jason and uh nick nick marvin jason trost uh myself and then you know we have special guest appearances uh another one of our admins in our facebook group james sourland uh, we we all work either all together or a few at a time or whatever, but uh, yeah, we're very opportunistic. Uh, when the when the availability is there to get to the woods, we take it. Sometimes it's just on a moment's notice. But one of the good things about where we live is we are absolutely surrounded by forest and game lands and swamps and all the good stuff, power lines, railroad beds, all the things that you want. But everything's right outside the door, basically, because it's an awfully rural area where we are. We're on the northern edge of the Allegheny National Forest. Uh, oh, yeah, there's yeah. so many places to go. So yeah. we can just kind of go at the drop of a hat. Well, probably the, one of the big debates that we always run into is, you know, what is Bigfoot? Okay. Um, a lot of people assume it's a, a large primate that just is really good at hiding. Okay. Uh, one of the things we, but there are other ideas too that it might be uh, come and go, as the natives might suggest, coming shape shifting or coming and going from parallel realities or whatever. The first thing that I noticed when we started our work down in the, 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 that particular area of Dubois in 2016 was that this is farm country. It's not really <laughs> wilderness. You have, you know, a few acres of woods here and there, maybe a little more. Uh, you've got open country, pasturage, and, of course, farms and some houses. It doesn't seem to me like a place where a large primate could hide, let alone have a breeding population, or let alone getting enough to eat. What say you? If there's one thing in my mind, and I respect everyone's opinion, but if there's one thing in my mind it's not, it is not a monkey. There's just no way, because Mm -hmm. monkeys don't weave. Monkeys do not mind speak. Monkey, maybe infrasound you could make a case for, but mind speak alone, which I have been a witness to, monkeys don't do that. Nothing does that. There's, this is more than an animal. It arguably is more than a human. It's, it's something enigmatic that has not been clearly defined. I don't know that it ever will, but I am sure it is not a monkey. Okay. Can we take a quick half step back? Did you say mind sweep? Mind sweep? Like mind sweeper or mind speak? Mind speak. 
could you mind speak? Could you uh, could you elaborate on that a little bit? Um, one of my partners and I were out in the woods one night, and uh, as we were in the woods, you know, we we're deadly silent. You know, we we're in a, a known hot spot. We have several, and this is one of our best ones. We're in the woods, standing there, being as quiet as we can. And my partner looks at me and he says, "Yeah," and I said, "Yeah, what?" He said, "Yeah, I heard that." And I said, yeah, you heard what? He said, did you not just say to me, did you hear that? I said, I have not said a word. He said, someone just asked me if I heard that. And I said, yes. And then you started talking to me. Basically, there was a third person or a third voice. He and I were not talking to each other at all because we were trying to be silent. And there was a third entity or what have you that was speaking to him, and I couldn't hear it, and he couldn't. We were standing nearly shoulder to shoulder, but he was having a conversation with someone who wasn't there. You know, I, I don't even really know how to accurately describe this, but it is what I would indeed call mind speak, and I know it affected him, and he was ready to call it a night on the research that night, and uh, that was all right by me, and we did so, and we still kind of scratch our heads about that to this day. Now, I'm looking at my two, uh, my dear ones here, and I'm thinking of, uh, there are a lot of things that occur in other kinds of paranormal cases that are very similar. Mm-hmm. One of the things we run into very often negative cases, uh, parasite cases as we call them, is that people in the family will hear the voices of other people in the family very often saying negative things, and it's not the people are not even there, or, or they're certainly not speaking. I'm doing three cases right now. Um, up in New Hampshire, where it started, the, the people's homes, what's going on, started just like that. Was uh, a voice mocking a loved one of the family, yeah. but talking like you know, they can hear the voice clearly in their head. And um, so, my mind speak in a negative direction, so it's, yeah, I, I like that term. Well, okay. there's also you know the the phenomena like you think you hear someone say something like across the house or like next to you, but they're like. A, I, I hear that with with my wife all the time. Like I'll, I'll be at I'll be at home. I'll, if I'm working from home, I'll be like at, at my desk, and I'll I'll hear like, oh hey, what's going on? And like I look around, no one's there, and she's like upstairs, and like yeah, it happens with your mom like, too. <laughs> well, it's just like you know stuff that's just like you know not necessarily negative, but you know something that's kind of benign. You see, you see what I'm trying to get at? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and of course on the cusp of sleep, uh, very often we'll be uh, just about to go to sleep or, mm. or just about to wake up, and you'll hear, sometimes I, I hear a dog barking right in my ear, because we don't have a dog, uh, or you'll hear something, uh, a voice of someone saying something, you mm-hmm. know, could be totally random. So perhaps this is all related. Perhaps the process is the same there, Tommy. It, it, I, I couldn't rule anything out. Uh, in my mind, until someone showed me something definitive to the contrary, I've got to roll with mind speak because the, the, the history we have in this area, it was really the only thing that was possible to me. Uh, I'm sure anyone can have a contrary opinion to that, but until someone goes into the woods and proves me otherwise, that was mind speak of the first degree. Yeah. Nice, nice. Well, and, and as we, we've discussed uh, with you, Tommy, in, in, the, in the past, we've had neighborhood meetings in our particular research vicinity, and, you know, 35 people will show up, and every one of them has had Bigfoot sightings uh, and mm-hmm. or strange lights, orbs, whatever you want to call them. And one thing I've always been curious about, well, first of all, have you yourself had Bigfoot encounters? Or, yes. Okay. Were they positive or negative? We, we, what was your 
your bodily reaction? I mean, were, were you frightened or? The, the best one I've ever had, I felt like it was almost like, as the Native Americans would call counting coup, where they would try to touch. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this or not, but I, I was hit with a small stone one night in the head. Now, as negative as that sounds, that was actually my most positive experience because I think they just wanted me to know that, like, aha, I gotcha. Hey, we gotcha. You know, you're not so good. We're, we, we're right behind you and we mean yeah. it. That's really what I think it was. I, I thought that was a positive experience. Uh-huh. Conversely, I had a boulder tossed over my head in the swamp at night. I was in there alone. And when the boulder hit the water directly in front of me, the water splashed higher than my head. Jeez. That one was scary. I, I thought that one had a whole different vibe. And that was, uh, you better get out of here or you're about to die. And uh, so I got out of there. And uh, that one I felt was negative. But yeah. uh, it's you're kind of signing up for it when you're going out in the woods chasing these things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, uh, when I had my experience, I was kind of new to this whole, whole Bigfoot thing. I mean, I, we, could, we were running into these things. In ghost research, you'd run into UFOs, and I, this was happening back in the 70s, which is why we, I, we sort of branched out, and then Ben and I have done uh, that even more so since. The uh, I'm just really fascinated by, by maybe what people bring to the experience, maybe uh, well, why causes invest, what, you know. I think, I think a better way of putting it, or in my opinion, a better way of asking the question is, why is there such a vast spectrum of experiences? Yeah. Mine was very positive. A little girl down the road, uh, maybe a year later, had a creature very similar to what I saw, and it was she was horrified. Won't talk to us to this day mm. about it. So I, I don't know. It's just uh, maybe it's what we bring to it. I think uh, if we bring positive spirit and respect, maybe it's a po- more positive experience. I don't know. What do you think? I, you know, I, I don't know. I've, I've never really quite thought of uh, the different encounters I've heard in terms of positive and negative. Mm. Uh, I don't get a lot of real negative, super negative ones, for sure. Uh, I also can't say that there's probably the... I, I guess I can say I know of a few positive encounters, but uh, there, most of them, I would say, are kind of uh, median, uh, just kind of in the average. Uh, kind of neutral. Okay. Uh, a lot of them here especially are road crossings because uh, there is so much forest here and uh, the population is so sparse. I, I get a lot of road crossings, and of course, you know those are bam, bam, and they're over. Sure. But uh, it's still interesting, nonetheless. Do the police run into them around? Around here, we've had a lot of uh, not right in Woonsocket, but in the Bridgewater Triangle in that area of Massachusetts. Uh, uh, how about the police? Are I, they uh, part of the part of the fun here? <laughs> I have hounded anyone I know that's a police officer. I have hounded anyone I know that's a game enforcement officer. I have hounded everyone I know who's a forester. And uh, isn't it interesting that, the, well, it, maybe it's just because they are disciplined to not talk about it, but I get nothing. I get nothing from, from those angles. Uh, huh. And the, the foresters are the ones that blow my mind because they're out in the woods every day. You would surely think if anyone was going to have an encounter, it's them. But it's not them. It's... It's it's the the randomness to it. It, it speaks to the the bushman qualities of the Sasquatch, or maybe it's interdimensionality. I don't know, but certainly it really illustrates the stealth of the Sasquatch that people who spend that much time in the woods don't always have a, an encounter or a sighting. 
Interesting, yeah, because we always, well, at least I always talk to hunters and members of the Native Americans or members of the First Nations, if there are any, because they, between the two of them, they see everything. But uh, it is what it is. So uh, the other sorts of sightings in the air in Pennsylvania, uh, there's a lot, particularly Western Pennsylvania, that we're aware of, sightings of uh, what are generally known as upright canine cryptids. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, okay, well, we're gonna. Uh, I, we, you can you can uh, ponder that question, Tommy. Uh, to oh. me, in other words, how many reports of those have you run into? But we're going to take our bottom of the hour break. Uh, it is behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and our special guest co-host today, Shane Searway, and our wonderful guest Tommy Cooper from Pennsylvania. And we're on WOON twelve forty AM and ninety nine three FM in New England's beautiful but hot Blackstone River Valley. We will be right back. Hi, I'm James Lloyd. And I'm Dave Koz. And this weekend on the Dave Koz Radio Show, we're catching up with one of the longest-running groups in smooth jazz when James Lloyd of Pieces of a Dream is here in the studio. Be here this weekend on the Dave Koz Radio Show. Hi, fans of smooth jazz. The Dave Koz Radio Show can only be heard on ON, AM, and FM every Sunday. Twice on Sundays, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. And again, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. And the Dave Cos Radio Show is brought to you by the Carew Investment Group. It's the Dave Cos Radio Show, and it's right here on ON, AM, and FM. Well, uh, here we are back at Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and the Shane Searway today as well, and our guest Tommy Cooper. We're talking about strange creatures in Pennsylvania, some of which we ourselves have seen, and certainly Tommy has as well. Tommy, on the matter of the uh, what what are euphemistically called the upright, upright canine cryptids, uh, nobody dares say werewolf, um, and you know we're not saying such things exist, but the upright canine cryptids have been seen. Uh, what sorts of reports have you received on them? Uh, one of my favorites is uh, I had a, uh, a friend and customer come to my garage one day, and uh, he was talking about a, a valley that I'm very familiar with, and uh, he had dr- driven through it on his way here. And and it was he and another guy, and he's like, he's like, man, he's like, we have wolves around here, and I was like, well, I mean, you know, we have big coyotes, we have koi dogs, we have you know whatever. I was like, there's some big dogs around here. He said, man, I saw something today. He said it was a timber wolf. He said it was massive. Well, he went through and told me his whole story about it and stuff, and it was off in a field eating something or whatever, a hay field beside the road, and. He was describing to me a dog man, a werewolf, whatever you want to, something much bigger than we have around here, and blacker than night, and all the all the classic uh, details like you would expect. But you could see his mind was blown, and this wasn't a learned man that was very descriptive with his language. But he, I, he was making a clear case to me that he saw something that was like a four hundred pound wolf or, or something. And uh, I believe that was probably a dog man because the area that he had seen it in, other people had had sightings, and it was all within a five-mile radius. And uh, I had actually had the opportunity to get a track. And so uh, a track. So uh, the, the track from the flower bed was pretty impressive just for the fact it was great media to get the track from. And, I mean, it was massive, and it was just down the road, basically, and across the woods from where the sighting was. 
And there again, we come all the way back into where this track in the flower bed was. There was also an incidence of mind speak. And hmm. with that, Okay, we're um, having a little trouble with your audio here. Um, what's going on, Ben? Yeah. Okay. Can we get her? Yeah, okay, that's better. Yeah. Okay. Well, where, where the track in the flower bed was, the person that lived in the house, uh, they had told me they were in their bedroom getting ready to go to bed the previous night, and uh, they felt like someone was talking to them. They immediately looked out the window into this giant hemlock tree that's beside their house, and lo and behold, there's a pair of glowing red eyes in the tree. Wow. And, you know, then then the footprint gets found. And, and But there was probably six different people that had given me dogman encounters from basically that five-mile radius within two years. And the, these are all walking on two legs? <laughs> Not always, usually, right, yeah. though. Okay. <clears throat> all right. Yeah, I think they're just at home one way as the other. Well, I remember we've done a number of shows with Linda Godfrey, who's a good friend of ours, writes a lot of books on cryptids in general, and particularly these upright canine uh, creatures. And she talks about what could be called mind speak. Uh, She talks about very knowing looks from their eyes, red or otherwise. And she sometimes talks about reports she's had of them walking on their hind legs and carrying prey or something in their forelegs. Which doesn't seem to be very practical, but she had lengthy explanations that kind of made sense about how they could do that or why they could do that. So uh, I don't know. I mean, that's I've never had an encounter like that. But uh, we're going to turn it over to Shane here uh, to keep us uh, keep us rolling on some interesting stuff. Yeah. So um, Tommy, uh, a question I think some of the listeners would want to know is because I, I know you have a strong interest in in um, tree structures. And I know yep. you've run across quite a few, you know, quite a few of them. And um, so, could you tell, like, the listeners, what you know, the definition of a tree structure, what it is, and and um, what do you think the significance of the tree structures are? Have you been able to formulate an opinion on that? The the the, the tree structures are uh, they can be small, they can be micro, they can be macro. Uh, we find them anywhere from twigs to trees that are ten inch diameter, in all points in between. Uh, they can roughly be broken down into the groups of what we call a scanicum star, which is like a uh, like a three dimensional asterisk, if you will. Uh, TP structures, which are just like they sound, they look like the skeleton of a TP, and there are X's, which those are found often. And then there's the bows, which are trees that are bowed over, and some of them are uh, pinned with another tree to hold them down. Then we call them pinned wedding arches. Uh, and there's a few others like that. Um, I hunt those relentlessly. That is my favorite thing in the world. And what they mean, I have not been able to formulate any type of a cohesive answer for. I feel very confident they do mean something, but what it is... Gosh, I still don't know. And there's there's a million opinions on what they are and what they mean. Um, the, the only one that I'm really willing to hang my hat on and say that I think I know what it's for is, uh, as Jonathan Lackey has schooled me to on this idea, uh, when you come into a, a dark black hemlock security forest, I believe they'll use that as like a buffer zone or a safety area. Uh, you'll oftentimes find tree after tree that's laid horizontally 
like a fence. And I think basically it's just a barrier that if you come through it, you make noise and they hear you, so they've always got the jump on you, just like they always do. Hmm. And that's that's the only thing I feel definitive about on the tree structures. Well, we but found them. Are there? Well, we found some uh, a number of times actually uh, in Pennsylvania and elsewhere, and uh, they they don't see uh, people would say, well, maybe that's where they sleep, but they, they don't really create any have any shelter. I mean, they're not fully covered over; they're just sticks bent over on each other, intertwined. Sometimes, obviously, it was intelligently done, uh, presumably yeah. by a creature of the strength that we were discussing. So there's one theory that maybe they they mark um, certain geographical points for the benefit of thinking. For example, if you knew the native languages, particularly the Algonquian languages here in the east uh, of the forest uh, Indians, they you could the, the the place names are a map of the landscape. In other words, uh, you know, you translate the words and they say, well, this is where we get fish, or this is where we get pitch, you know, for this or that, or this is where the water falls, and other kind of thing. So maybe it's that sort of thing um, in a visual sense. Uh, another theory that I've heard is that they are points of intersect points with parallel realities where they come from and go to. Uh, that's another theory. So I, I don't know, but they apparently have some meaning. <coughs> And um, we're, we're going to continue to pursue what that might be. Well, we were in Pennsylvania. Um, I think it was this, no, the first trip. Yeah, the first trip. Um, so in May of 2016. Yeah, when I when I had my encounter, not far from where I had my encounter, where I saw that big, giant, black, hairy thing uh, chasing the three deer, but not far from there, I got come across what at first looked like a, a big nest or something on the ground, um, but it, it were vines that were. Literally, like wrapped around tree branches on purpose. It was they were bent it was, it, it, to form like this nest-looking type of thing. And it, but where there was a deer crossing nearby, I'm, I'm almost thinking that was some kind of like deer blind that they were using. They, they hmm. made this as a, a hunting, um, you know, blind or whatever. It, it, you know, one of the one of the first premises of camouflage is that primarily you're trying to break up the outline shape of whatever it is you're trying to conceal. So I think that would lead to to your feelings and argument making a lot of sense, Shane. Yeah. yeah because if you're sense. you're in if you're in those sticks, even if you're not concealed, if you're breaking up your your the shape of your body, the outline of who you are, what you are, I, I think that would uh, that would sounds logical. Yeah. An- another thing that comes up as, uh, along with the structures is are the tracks, of course. And I remember on that first trip, Shane, you wasted no time in, in uh, running into Bigfoot on that first trip there. <laughs> there was broad daylight, although albeit rainy. I think it was that same day we went up to the, uh, I call it the sort of the, the Iron Hill because it's full of, of mm-hmm. uh, fragments from a meteor strike, apparently. And there was a, a there seemed to be a track uh, in, the, in the people's backyard where it came up from the woods uh, from the area where you had your sighting. Yes. And, but it was one track. And uh, you often hear stories, and I've seen stories, and I know, Tommy, you too, uh, where all of a sudden, they'll, whether it be in the snow or the soft ground, it'll start, and then there'll be a bunch of tracks, and then they'll stop. Yeah. I mean, what, what is that about? I mean, they seem to come and go uh, without walking or fly, or what's going on? Isn't that where the UFO picked them up at? <laughs> well, hey, who knows? It's possible. They've been seen yeah, in proximity I- to UFOs, too. Well, believe me, I am not I'm not saying that's impossible. There's nothing that's impossible. That's right. I, I mean, I don't know. I just don't know. 
like so many parts of this you just don't know yeah uh but the trackways you're talking about absolutely i've followed them myself before and then all of a sudden boop, they're gone they yeah. just disappear yeah. i i have one i followed it across a hay field there was snow on the ground there was nowhere to jump there was nowhere to go and i don't believe that you could walk backwards in your own tracks good enough for an eighth of a mile for me to not catch at least one place where I could say, oh, yeah, they're walking backwards in their own tracks. They weren't. They just disappeared. I don't know. A yeah. UFO could have picked them up. I can rule out nothing. Well, after my sighting in September of 16, Shane and I reenacted the whole thing, and there was a, a, a swath of the tall grass that had been pushed aside by a creature, apparently on two legs, came up to a point, and it... it, it Looked as though it turned around and went back. Now, the problem I had, I didn't turn off my cell phone that night. And I'm just getting out of my truck to get a better view of this. And my wife calls. So this ringtone from the Lord of the Rings goes blasting out over the field. So naturally it's going, I'm, as I say, I was a little new to this at the time. So so, um, but, but, uh, so I don't know. So unless uh, somebody's wife called and it turned around and went back, I mean, the, tra- the tracks uh, in, in, in snow or anything would, would be uh, obvious. But that's not the case with these things. Uh, another issue too is the, um, the simply the, the the kinds of creatures people report. Now, people will will have different kinds of experiences. Uh, one of the things that happened after mine in September of sixteen was uh, as soon as I had this sighting and I was kind of trying to get my my thoughts together, these lights appeared in the tree. Now, I don't know if you, uh, when you came to visit us there, whether you had time to go up into the field in back of that house where we were. But there was, a, there was a tree on the other side, and the lights went up uh, in the tree. And they didn't look like orbs or anything. It looked like somebody on the ground with a spotlight. And it turns out that it was, because at the neighborhood meeting the next night, uh, I described my experience, and I said somebody was flashing lights, and a hand went up, and it was the woman who was uh, living in the house down on the other side of the field <clears throat> where this had happened. And she came home with her son, and she said they had heard something large moving through that field while I was seeing it. They didn't even know I was up there. So that's why, and, and she said, I said, why did you shine the lights into the trees? She said, well, sometimes they're in the trees. Now, you don't often think of Bigfoot as climbing trees. Yep. What, what do you think about that? I have reports of, I have not witnessed them in the trees before, but uh, I have reports of them in the trees locally. Uh, with arms like that, with a build like that, you know, the, the first-hand encounters I've been told, the man told me that this thing went tree to tree to tree to tree, and he said, you, you know, uh, an Olympic sprinter couldn't have ran that fast on the ground as fast as this thing went from tree to tree, and it was out of there. Uh, his encounter, he had coon dogs with him, and the coon dogs had gotten onto it. The one coon dog attacked it, and it threw the coon dog. The other coon dog had come back and laid at the man's feet and urinated all over itself while it laid on the ground in front of him. And it was really a weird night for him, obviously. Wow, yeah. But uh, he, he claimed to see it jump into the tree and then and then get the heck out of there. And he said it was incredibly fast, like nothing he could even describe. So the, the tree activity doesn't surprise me really at all. Well, I'm thinking, I'm looking at Shane I mean, here, and, and we have the, another report from our friend Buck down there. Uh, who had a, a kind of a frightening experience. He was walking, and uh, he heard something. Apparently, a limb broke, and a, a creature landed on the ground in back of him. And he turned, and he described it uh, not so much as the classic Bigfoot, but more like an orangutan, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, Which, of course, obviously is very uh, tree uh, 
happy kind of creatures there. So um, I'm wondering, uh, do you have reports of different kinds of primates that apparently are running around in Pennsylvania rather than just, you know, the the garden variety, eight-foot-tall, hairy guy? I do have reports of smaller ones. Uh, We usually attribute that to it being a young eight-foot, ten-footer, but it's just it's young. It's a a child, basically. But uh, that's not to say that's definitely the case. The biggest variation we get is in uh, color. We get, of course, the black, the brown, the the auburn, and we do get the white. Um, and then we get different colored eye shine reports and, and that sort of thing. As far as the physical build of the creature or the the characteristics like the orangutan stuff, honestly, we don't get a lot of variation there. Uh, sometimes people will give me reports, and I think that maybe it's a dogman versus a Bigfoot, but uh, I don't think we have a lot of the, not ruling anything out, but I don't think we have a lot of the orangutan type here. The type in this area, I believe, look very, very human. Uh, One girl had given me her description as, like, imagine the hairiest, hairiest, hairiest man you could ever imagine. Now make him way, way hairier than that. And and I I was really interested. I said, did it look like a human, though? She said, absolutely it did. Absolutely it did, but just so much hair. So Buck just got lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, Tommy, this is Shane again. Um, yeah. So while I was in Pennsylvania, one, one of our trips, I was out in it, where the pavilion, this little campsite uh, that they, the landowners have, and I was out there. It was dark out, but I could see everything, you know. Um, and I was walking down towards this... Uh, um, towards a river um, where it, go, it goes down like into a little ravine or whatever but I was standing at the top of that when all of a sudden I got the feeling of a presence like there was something there with me like and and then I hear like thud like on the ground and it it shook the shook the um, shook the ground shook me I could feel it through my feet and everything and um, and I turned around I could hear breathing heavy breathing that was just feet from me. I mean, I, I, I've been in the woods long enough. I know sometimes you can hear like a deer snort and it sounds like it's, it's closer than what it is, but this, this breathing was happening just feet from me, but there was nothing there. But, and, and the breath was coming from a lot higher than I stood. And, um, have you ever had any reports about something like that? Actually, I've had a firsthand experience like that. Um, I was, uh, on a gravel road in the middle of the night one night with another guy. We were walking down the gravel road on a hot summer night, and it's just dry as anything, and you hear every footstep on the gravel. Well, there was three of us walking down that gravel dirt road, and that was really about the long and the short of the story, but there it was, and it's not so different than what you're describing. Uh, I didn't get to breathing, but I certainly could hear the third set of tracks being laid down. Uh, Once again, it's not a monkey. There's no way it's a monkey. No. Mm. What about um, one of the other, sort of branching out here a little bit into other kinds of critters, uh, the Chicago area is rife at this point with Mothman reports. Now, of course, anything that maybe with bat-like wings and people might pin the label Mothman on that may have no relation to whatever was happening in West Virginia in the 60s. Have there been any reports? Uh, I, I've heard a few, but not anything you can put your finger on. Uh, in uh the Pennsylvania area of, of uh, anything that could be described as Mothman or that people have described as Mothman? 
again back to the garage. Well, one of my customers gave me a report, and he wasn't having much luck describing to me what it was he saw. So he said, you got a pencil and a paper? He actually drew me a picture, and I was like, that's a Mothman. And wow. he doesn't know what Mothman is. He doesn't know what any of this stuff is. He said, I don't know. He's like, but it's, that was flying down the road beside my car. It buzzed my car like three times. It was me and my wife. You can ask her, you know. Wow. I was like, wow, wow, yeah. And, and, and you know, these people that give me these reports, I, I, we don't take it lightly. And uh, we're very honored that people feel comfortable sharing these things with us. But these people that give these reports to us, they don't stand to gain a thing. The only thing they can look forward to is guaranteed ridicule if they ever go public with it. Yeah. And it's kind of maddening, but but it's awesome that people still feel comfortable enough and that they're willing to come and give us these reports in-house here. We're around 400 reports in the local area. There's not that many people that live around here. This is a real phenomenon. I believe it's becoming more and more common uh, for whatever reason. I don't know if it's the population explosion of cryptids or if, I don't know, but it, it's definitely on the rise. I was actually just going to ask about that, how, um, how you know, the, the basic basic everyday people kind of, they come to you with these stories, you know, is it, uh, do they feel more, you know, open open to talking about these sorts of things? Is there still kind of an, an added, like a, like a local attitude of, oh, this guy's just crazy, you know, he's just a crazy old guy that lives down there, sees weird stuff all the time, you know, he's just off his meds. I, I have to admit it's been it's been pretty heartening. Uh, the local community has embraced us pretty well. They've been awful good to us, really, which is really awesome. Uh, but it is a small town, and it's not hard to research anybody in this area, you know, and find out who they are and what they're all about and stuff. And I think our genuineness and what we're doing and what we're trying to do, I think it translates. And I think we've garnered the the respect and the trust, at least the trust of uh, most people in the, in the area and stuff. And, you know, when people say they want to re- re- remain anonymous with us, they're going to remain anonymous with us. And uh, we have a track record to back that up. And uh, it's it's awesome. It's really awesome. And, and there's so many people that they're not involved in this cryptid world, and they don't know this stuff, and they don't want to know this stuff. But they had something happen to them, and... You know, they see my paraphernalia, or they figure out this is where Cryptovania TV Roku is headquartered from, and all of a sudden, hey, you know, they had something happen to them, and, and would you like to talk for a moment? And, and it's really awesome. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, I had a, a sweet little old lady that I was talking to one day, and she was telling me that she lived in such and such area, which happens to be on the backside of one of my research areas. And I said to her, I was like, do you ever have weird stuff happen around your house? And, oh, yeah, and, you know, the whole conversation goes. Well, it turned out that she felt she had Bigfoot on her property. And uh, I just, I had to swing for the fence with her. And I said, you ever, I, I said, you know, I said, some people think I'm crazy. But uh, I said, I thought I had something on my roof one night. And she, her eyes lit up, you know, and they swelled. And she said, I have something run across my roof all the time, and my my grandkids think I'm crazy and all. She's like, but I know what it sounds like to hear somebody run across the roof. What did she stand to gain? Absolutely nothing. And she wasn't even going to say that if I wouldn't have asked about it or or brought it up. And uh, you could see the relief in her eyes that she was so happy that somebody knew that this was possible, that this probably was going on there. 
And she was quite relieved. And that's a nice service that we're proud to give to people. Yes, yes, it is. So that being said, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're, about your, you're working on, Cryptovania, anything like that you have coming up? Uh, we have a, a new episode of Three Bears a Race, which Shane Searway was kind enough to be a guest on here a few months back. There's a new episode of that coming out. Uh, there's a new episode of Zero Squatch 30 coming up, which uh, is uh, people recount their firsthand encounters to us. And it's especially great when they started out as not being a believer, which is the case this time. Uh, 520 programs on our channel. It's 100% free. It streams 24-7 on your Roku device, uh, Cryptovania TV. Uh, we couldn't do it without you guys. We couldn't do it without the viewers. We have peer-generated archives. Uh, if we like people's stuff, we ask them to share it with us, and they almost always let us share their stuff on the channel. It's really like nothing else in the world, and uh, if anyone wants to take the time to install the channel for free and tune it in, we think they'll be glad they did. Okay, I just wanted to mention, too, that uh, when I update the site for our show with the um, information from today, uh, we'll put a Talking Points page, and I'd like to put a link, Tommy, to your Orb video and to your Facebook page. And uh, any uh, any photos uh, you think would be great, we can put it on that as well. Because uh, anything that's not uh, radio friendly, and for people who are not looking uh, at a device where they can see uh, the uh, video feed, uh, benefit from that page. So uh, th- that would be great. Uh, we have a few more minutes, but I I, I just wanted to uh, to ask too about um, uh, other. Again, uh, I'm just fascinated by by other kinds of cryptids. Uh, there are, and that winged serpent, that, that's a good one. I mean, <laughs> uh, you don't run into that very often. Um, the, yeah. the, uh, the ones in the Freetown State Forest of Massachusetts, the Bridgewater Triangle, there are giant snakes going back as far as the natives. Uh, but when you do talk to the natives, um, what did they, I mean, going back before the Civil War and all, all the strange energies that came in at the time, do they talk about things that are in their tradition that would be similar to what you've reported today? There are not a lot of Native Americans in the area. Uh, however, there are a few, and I'm happy to be friends with most of the ones around. Um, probably one of the most fantastical things is uh, uh, a friend of mine who, uh, forgive me, I don't know much about exactly who he is, what he is, but a friend... He's a, he, when little people are found in the woods, yes. uh, the bones of little people, uh, he is the person, uh, they, they claim these bones as part of their tribe and, and then they do the ceremony and put the remains to rest and such. And, uh, uh, he has told me a lot of things in strict confidence that I can't repeat, but, uh, and I wish I could. And I hope I could get them on sometime, but I doubt I will, but, yeah. uh, He's really told me some interesting things, and the little people are something relatively new on my radar, and they are not on his. It's some, it's a phenomenon that's been around for a long time. Very good. And we're not talking about corpse, we're talking about smaller than that. Yeah. Oh, Tommy, wow. uh, we're just about out of time, and uh, we look forward, to, we thank you for being with us today. We look forward to growing our friendship and uh, to having all kinds of uh, more experiences in, in Pennsylvania with you oh, folks. I, and, I uh, hope you get to know the person again. Very good. Thanks so much. We'll be in touch off the air. Okay, folks, moving on to our announcements. Um, My book, Dancing Past the Grave, maybe Shane can hold that up since he happens to have one. Uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God has apparently been released a little early by the publisher, uh, Schiffer Books, Red Feather. And uh, 
It's available online and either is or shortly will be in stores. I'm told within the next week to ten days it should be in stores. There we go. Shane's uh, struggling uh, gallantly to get that up to the camera. That happens to anyway. the of us. Thank you, Shane. Anyway, it's available online again, and, and it should be uh, out there, and it's uh, be available at all our fall events. The official release will take place uh, not for a while yet with our good friends at the Toadstool Bookshop in Keene, New Hampshire, on Saturday, September 21st, beginning at 2 p.m. Alrighty, so this Tuesday, uh, August 6th at 7 p.m., my dad and hopefully myself too, and I'll do my best, will be at the uh, Nashville Public Library uh, on uh, 2 Court Street in Nashville, New Hampshire, to present a program entitled Extreme UFO Encounters in New Hampshire and Beyond. You can find out more at nashualibrary.org or call 603-589-4611. Uh, a little after that, on Saturday, August 17th at 2 p.m., we'll be at the Haverhill Public Library, 99 Main Street, Haverhill, Massachusetts, to present on extreme UFO encounters in Massachusetts and beyond. Uh, more info at Haverhill, HaverhillPL.org or call 978-373-1586. And then uh, we, we come to the 2019 Exeter UFO Festival, uh, where we will speak for the 8th year in a row, as well as do our fourth annual live broadcast of this show, with a panel of speakers on Sunday, September 1st at noon from the historic Exeter, New Hampshire Town Hall. And this great event is sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club uh, that benefits local children's charities. You can find out more at ExeterUFOFestival.org. And on the evening before that, Friday, August 30th, I'll be at the Plasto, New Hampshire Public Library at 5.30 to present on Weird UFOs in the Granite State as a sort of unofficial prequel to the Exeter Festival. And we did that last year, too. It was very successful. And some of the other Exeter speakers might make cameos. Shane, what's going on with you? Uh, not a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, you always say that, but I feel like there is. No, yeah, no. There's always something interesting. Just my personal uh, regular day job business that I own. Um, I'm just really busy with that. That's all I have, to <laughs> have time for lately. Well, but. I expect uh, you to show up at some of these things and uh, join Crash the program. When you, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, and because a lot of these are in your, your domain up there, right? Mm. <clears throat> okay, so other events this fall will take place at the Wood Memorial Library in South Windsor, Connecticut. That's the, uh, the book club bookstore had so, many, so much interest, they had to exp- needed a bigger venue, so we're going to the library. Uh, that'll be um, uh, later in the fall. Book Lovers Gourmet in Webster, Mass., Blackstone Public Library, both right here in our home listening area, and, of course, the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemister, Massachusetts, on Columbus Day weekend. And Tewksbury, Mass. Public Library, and Mount Hope Farm in Bristol, Rhode Island. We're going to have a busy, busy fall. Next April, we'll be back at the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine, and more details as we go. So there is quite a bit going on next week. Uh, We will bring you a rare appearance by a psychic medium because we believe this one is somewhat different. He's Gary McKinstry, and he will be with us in studio. Yeah, that'll be great. So uh, we'll leave you this afternoon with a rather two-edged thought from dear old Mark Twain. When we remember we were all mad, as in crazy, the mysteries disappear and life stands explained. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Shane Stairway. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.